audience as well but you'd mm -hmm. be surprised sometimes they'll yeah you get the comments that are kind of annoying and you know <laughs> the ones you want to ignore but you also get the ones that are like hey what about this idea and you're like yeah actually that sounds like a great idea that's genius <laughs> hey everybody brian here for work to game and we've got casually hardcore episode 54 bringing you nerd slayer ns justin uh, YouTuber and Twitch. He's got his own podcast, Six Pickles, Pixels, Pickles, <laughs> Six Pixels Under, uh, and more. We're going to be talking about MMORPGs and this just epic of conversations. Really happy to have you on, Justin. Justin, tell people about yourself. You were recommended by our community. Uh, that YouTube did not recommend you in, in the algorithm. And somebody was like, you got to ask Nerdslayer on the podcast. And I was like, absolutely, let's do that. And so I've been enjoying your content. So I, I know who you are now, but tell everybody, tell the workforce who you might be and what you talk about and what you do. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you can call me Nerdslayer NS, uh, or you can also call me Justin. Um, I've been doing YouTube now professionally. So as my career for the past about two years or so. And um, I started my channel back in like 2015 but i would just make a couple of videos here and there and i started way before that back in 08 i was making you know montages and just whatever i could think of and it never it never stuck so i tried over and over again i was just like oh maybe it's just not for me and then you know eventually like two years ago i was like i'm just gonna make a video about star wars galaxies because it's my favorite mmo and um i'll see what you know if people don't like it i'll like it kind of thing and uh that's, that's honestly what it took and the funny thing about how I came up with Death of a Game actually was um, my girlfriend asked me one day when we were playing Galaxies on a emulated server, she was like, why did this game fail? And I remember just kind of thinking like, you know what? Like, I honestly, I don't know. <laughs> and um, I, I found in MMOs a lot of the time, and you guys have probably experienced it as well, when one doesn't do well, you'll hear a couple chirps as to why it doesn't. And sometimes you can just take that, you know, and and be like, okay, so that's the reason. But a lot of the time people will just say the thing that either they didn't like or like if they're a hardcore player, they might ignore a lot of the, you know, on the surface issues and just only care about the more specific issues. And so I was like, I actually need to like dig into this and get deep and re read a lot of people's responses, see what people think, critical reviews, you know, player reviews and... Yeah, that's how I ended up coming up with uh, Death of a Game and started off like I don't like watching my old videos because <laughs> I mean, the quality is just really horrible. But uh, yeah, it started off like that. And the first video, I think in a couple of months, um, the first Death of a Game video, I should say, because I made a couple more before that that were like 5,000 views, mm -hmm. you know, 7,000 views. Nobody was really watching me. I had like 500 subs. And then I did the Galaxies video and... Um, it was like a January and it just blew up to hundred K views in, in like one month. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> people aren't doing this. So I, I what can was the response this. like typically in the video? Like was, were there, was there a lot of frustration or was there a lot of just like reminiscing on that game? Because they shut it down. Like it's like when we talk about like, it's always, there is always that trend within the YouTube space of like, Oh, the, so, such and such game is dying, especially if it's a popular game like Fortnite. And, uh, and you know, and yours is more retrospective because I'm assuming they are dead. Yeah, like I'm assuming the only way to play it would be a private server, uh, if there is a if there is a community that's still itching for it. So what was the what was the response to that video? I mean, 100k is massive. Was it mostly positive? Was it negative? Were you were there life threatening things? <laughs> I mean, I definitely went against the the grain a lot with that video, just because you know, like I said, 
people would say things like, oh, you know, the new gaming experience patch that happened in Galaxies ruined the game. And that would be like the, what everyone would say. And so I was like, I played it during that time too. And I still liked the game. So mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know if that was necessarily like the main reason it didn't do well. So in that sense, yeah, I had a lot of people angrily disagreeing with me, but I also had a lot of people kind of like you actually mentioned originally, um, being very emotional about it. And quite honestly, that caught me off guard. I didn't expect that. I didn't go in thinking people are going to have like a trip down, you know, memory lane, have all this nostalgia. Some people even saying things like, um, actually watching this video helped me put it all to rest. And so it was like, wow, like that's, I didn't think I could ever have that kind of impact in something. And so it was, I think it was a, just a good game to start with because there's so many emotions about it. And City of Heroes was another one of my early ones as well. And that's another one where, you know, it was like abruptly shut down when it was still making money and still doing well by NCSoft. And um, that one also had like a massive amount of emotions, nostalgia, people telling me, man, you should do more of these, do this game, do this game. And so, yeah, it, it, uh, it was, I would say mostly positive, but I don't think I was really seeing it like that back then. I was just more of like seeing it as like, okay, what should I do? And I need to do it fast because 100K views in like a month or two is cool, but it was also like- um, <laughs> How do you, you follow that up? Yeah. Exactly. When you have a business, it's kind of like you have, let's say you open up your shop online and all of a sudden your shop is you know, crashing, the website's not working. It's like uh, demand can actually ruin you sometimes. And so I actually was- pretty scared because that video took me like two months to make <laughs> oh man so. that, see that's what was my next question <laughs> oh my goodness two months of very work very cool that's impressive uh, we've uh, we had a uh, my name is Bife uh, on the podcast in, uh, in October talking about just the amount of work that he put into a four-hour complete story of destiny and it's like how do you balance it's that? months it's months he loses months he's a full-time youtuber and he has to pre-roll overtime for months to build enough videos that he can stagger them out while he then does. Hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's overtime for months to earn the chance to do overtime off the books for months all so that he can release one video. And like you said, how do you not get it wrong? I mean, so this week we've been listening, I've been listening to on Twitch, the world first race with world of Warcraft. I'm not a big raider. Like I'm not at that mythic level, but it's fascinating to listen to. And when you listen to the announcers between pulls, they get off on these side subjects and they talk about, you know what the game really needs is this or what the game is really failing at is this and it's so interesting hearing about these people who are rating in the top one percent of players while commenting on the top you know 40 people in the world what they think the game needs and then like jumping down to my level where mm -hmm. like i casually do some gold making i run some transmog i'm like that is not my issue with the fa at all um and so i don't know how when you're making videos this long you don't get afraid that like okay so I found a way to make my business model work. Two weeks per video, we can do this. Oh, I just whiffed hard. Like I just, I just made my thoughts. Um, how do you, how do you go about like making sure you don't make, I guess, a video that doesn't get a complete picture? Man, like that was kind of the hardest part. Was I, I knew early on because it took so long to make that damn video. I was like. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm going to make a career out of this, I can't take that long. It's just not going to work. And so I, I, what, what I had to do is come up with a process, like to really just shut, uh, shave down the amount of time. And one of the big parts of that was finding an editor because I was never really particularly gifted in editing, and my editing itself is kind of, you know, I would say it's pretty mediocre. And um, I, I could have gotten better at it, of course, but it was just like, how much time do I have to get better at it versus 
I was lucky enough to find somebody, Tom, who's my editor, who actually lives in the UK. And um, he was like, I love your videos. And I've been wanting to get involved in um, videography and, and video editing for YouTube and gaming because he did it as a career, but he did it for like a news company. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah. he also works for like a, uh, you know, like maritime, like it was maritime uh, instructionals or something like something super boring that, you know, he hated. And so <laughs> I was lucky enough to find him. And obviously that right there already shaved down like two, three weeks of time spent. And so the two months shrank down fast. And then, you know, I came up with like a uh, format where mm -hmm. it was just like I have a timeline after the timeline, each each uh, significant event that happened in the game's history gets a spot on a timeline. Then each timeline gets an article or a link to a video. So I always have references to look at. And so I bring up two monitors. I have my two monitors. I bring up uh, two copies of the same script. I keep one on the timeline and then the other one on writing. And so I can always look back and reference it and, and use um, uh, the... So we have a scene... I don't know what you would call it. I, th I think there's a word in um, videography, but it's like a, um, it's got a form. The format is you've got scene, scene numbers. Mm -hmm. You've got uh, information that you tell the editor and then you've got the part that you actually write in. And so they're like separated like that. And so each scene, one, two, three, four, five, will have like maybe a link to a video. Maybe I'll say, hey, what about if you do this kind of thing? Mm, Give him some okay. direction. But now he's so good and knows me so well that, and he can just do it pretty much on his own. Like, so we both work almost like two different phases. Like I do it, give him all my material, voiceover, the script, the links, you know, and maybe sometimes even the video footage, especially if I have my own uh, and I have to upload it, which is a pain in the ass, but uh, uh, yeah. So uh, he, he then takes it, turns it into his, you know, process and then gives it back to me. And it's like, okay, what do you think? And then at that point, it's usually, you know, I can just say, yeah, let's run it. Um, very rarely have I had to go back these days and, and redo it. But um, yeah, that, that honestly was the biggest part was finding an editor because I knew I was like, editing is not really for me. Like, it's not what I enjoy doing. Like, I'd rather talk about it and not have to do it myself. Very cool. Well, guys, this is the beginning of the podcast. You'll be able to find this on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, all the places that you can find podcasts. If we are not on one of those platforms, just let us know. We'll do our best to get it there. Last show was Mithri while I was out of town. You guys feel free to go back and give that a listen. And then uh, we'd like to thank our partnership with Exit Lag. If you guys are having any ping, especially as we talk about different MMOs that are located in different parts of the world, feel free to uh, give that a shot. And you can use our code for uh, three free days there to see if that fixes your lag. If it's a game that doesn't, then, then don't keep using it. Um, <laughs> but, but with that, let's move into uh, kind of our intro topic here. So you have seemed to want to involve more MMOs. You play a variety of games. What do you think is going on like in MMOs? What's the state of MMOs? What are you excited about in 2020 right now? Man, uh, I mean, I feel like I don't have to uh, mention that much how MMOs are really, like how do you even describe the genre? It's like you have in one hand complete like futuristic you know imagination innovation right like the possibilities are endless neural nets the matrix you know like you 
<laughs> augmented reality, virtual reality, like that's Sword what you think online, in the future. Man. Let's do it. Let's just do right. it. Right. Exactly. Or <laughs> dot hack the death thing. or whatever else, <laughs> like what other uh, anime you, you watch um, that's about MMOs. Cause there's a lot of them these days, log horizon, a couple yeah. other ones too. And uh, that's on one hand, but on the other hand, you have kind of what's the reality right now, which is that in, in a lot of ways, we're still like pretty behind. I would say like, if you look at when we um, started, I guess getting the most innovation, which is obviously going to be whenever the genre was probably coined back in like the 90, 98, 99. Um, it's, it's changed certainly, but the time between 98 and I think like 2005, it changed the most. And after that, it's been more like, um, in my, in my personal opinion, it's been more kind of like flashier, looks nicer. Um, but it doesn't necessarily play better. And I find that interesting because there's a lot of older games that have, pretty good gameplay even even in 2020 like you'll go back and play them and you're just you're surprised that they still handle so well and and well i should say handle so closely to games that are out uh today uh and so i think that there's there's the part where it's like very innovative and then there's the part where you're kind of like eh, it's a little bit stuck in the past and um i think that on honestly i mean it's such a complex genre i think genuinely speaking i don't really fault developers for it um, developers had to go about getting funding uh, mm -hmm. and, and that required them to form relationships with investors, um, investment groups, and um, obviously publishers. And as we know with publishers like SOE and you know other famous publishers, that caused a lot of problems. And so funding, I think, honestly, was the biggest problem period at first was just mm -hmm. like being able to afford these games. And the return on the investment. And that's where you right. end up getting a nervous investor because the genre was just exploding and you would see like, oh wait, like I thought we were going to, and I have always felt like the worst thing you could ever call a game is an X killer. Like obviously a lot, you had a lot of MMOs being like, this is the wow killer. It's like, let's stop doing that. But, and then you would see like all of a sudden something wouldn't take right away. And then it'd say it, it would be something you have to build up to. It takes a lot of time and patience to really kind of solidify that community. And then you would be like, oh, that didn't work. You know, now we're changing our whole model and so there was a lot of turbulence, I thought, between 2005 and 2000, maybe 15, in that space. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And during that time, um, that's the, the age I call the age of WoW clones or WoW killers. So you either get the WoW clone or the WoW killer, where it was like, we're going to be WoW and not that much different than it. Um, like games like Rift, for example, didn't mm -hmm. even hide the fact that they were like, yeah, they were antagonistic towards WoW, but their game was pretty much wow like it wasn't that much different maybe the three class system was a little bit of an innovation so some games had slight differences but then you had really interesting um differences uh in like age of conan right where it was like mm. really we hadn't seen anything like that before and so there was plenty and and there's other examples too like wildstar and uh, other great examples where they definitely brought something new to the table but the problem was as people kept looking at wow like that boogeyman basically and they were like well it's not this, it's not this good, it's not this polished. And so it, it, it caused a lot of problems, I think, from perception-wise, but also um, developers taking risks in order to do that stuff. While, as you kind of mentioned, investors and, and publishers being like, mm, we, we want more like that. Like, can you make it more like that? Do you think the players have a role in it? You, I mean, in your Wildstar video, since that's the uh, name of a game you brought up, you mentioned that like they had to move from 40 man raids to 20 man raids because people don't want that anymore. You know, they think they do, but they don't. And, and we ended up with classic coming back out and it's like, 
I mean, the players are the ones that ask for the smaller raid sizes, right? I can't get this many people around. And then Classic comes out and it's this just resounding success story for effectively a copy pasta. Like it, it, there's there's nothing magic about Classic re-releasing. The, the magic is in that the game was just that good the first time. So of course it's good the second time. Um, and to put I mean, some I, context on it, I didn't play WoW Classic and I went and played the the classic, and I was like, "This feels great!" Like it, I like the danger, I like the mystery for me. And where other people were like, "Oh my gosh, I remember this! I remember this zone! I remember when we were all fighting it out over here." They had those, they have that nostalgia pulling them in. And then at the same time, I felt like the game did such a good job with like with me, and I was like, "Wow, like this is really cool." If I could play it with a controller, like that was always my thing. That's why I actually I'm gravita- I gravitate towards Final Fantasy. Uh, as a as a franchise 11 and, and 14 just because of the nature in which that i can play with the controller and so that my my litmus test is very small uh in that regards so uh sorry did he have a chance to answer that question because i know i jumped no. in okay yeah good <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like so what role do players have i actually um that's a really good question because i'm i'm a big proponent and players are a big part of the puzzle like especially when it comes to like a sandbox style game where players can create a lot of the content on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while, you know, growing up, I think I was like, oh, blame the developers. It's the developer's fault. You know, like I think when you're first getting into gaming and getting into MMOs, your first inclination is just blame the developers. But developers, oftentimes, they want to make a good game. It's not like they want to make a bad game, right? Like <laughs> they want you to like their game. It's just that they also have somebody else typically breathing down their neck who's telling them no you need to do it this way no can't focus on that no you know look over here and um with with like wow or or like using the example you brought up with wildstar i think part of the problem there is that uh in in wildstar especially the performance was so horrible and so i think that was why people didn't want 40 man raids or 40 man uh war plots uh they called them because they just didn't even function like the, the game was so laggy especially you know i i said it in the video but dance dance revolution with 40 people it was just like it was too much like going on and all these icons and and images and particle effects all over the place it was just um it was way too taxing for their game but i think that when it comes to players having a role in this and i'm not going to try and rant too long because honestly i really think that they do (laughs) certainly have a bigger role than they think themselves and i think it comes a lot to perception expectation but it's also like um there's two particular uh, subjects that always tilt me and kind of get me going and it's like meta when people talk about meta discussions okay that one and my people who are watching in chat right now who know me are gonna be like, oh no please don't let them rant about meta but but meta is one of them and it's like because players don't understand you're part of that problem right right like you are that so it's like if you want to do something different do something different that doesn't mean it's going to be easy right because that's the point right if it's meta it means doing the meta is easier but you can still do other things and so i see that all the time and both of you have played wow and and played final fantasy so i know you've seen people say well this spec or this class is worse but it's like is it always worse it's like it pretty much never is always worse it's just they mean in a very specific way but they say it like it means everything is worse you know right all the I'm gonna, time i want to say something Total I, wanna trash. See, I wanna get your i want to get your perspective on it because this is always my my viewpoint i i've, I've always believed the meta sh- in its in its purest sense should be it's there to serve the player however it gets corrupted and people worship the meta like it is some kind of you know, demigod of like, okay, yeah, if it's not a part of the meta. And, and the reason I think from my history, especially when it comes to 11, was I would always laugh at like, people were like, no, this is the only way to do it. This is the way it's done. And we would spend time coming up with our own builds, 
just being ridiculous and we could reset the meta. We could exactly. redefine the meta and then that would become the meta and then we would go out and try to do that again. Can we change it again? Can we come up with a more efficient way again? And that's where player agency meets that kind of exploration. But some, but like in the terms of like where I kind of fault matchmaking and auto like auto grouping uh, as a way of where they've had to developers had to simplify that they've had to kind of pare it down. You've seen that MMO, and that's why I've always I'm really man. You're hitting on some really high high notes, uh, at least in, in what I believe is that they've had to pare it down because MMOs haven't gotten bigger. You know, when you talk about just how they've developed, they've gotten right. smaller. We've gotten smaller parties, more refined, where then other games have started to challenge what even means to be an MMO anymore. And so, right. yeah, I don't know. Like, dude, you saying that, like, I'm like, you are, that's you a kick-ass thought. <laughs> you, see it show up, you see it show up more in games that have more player agency, right? So, um when you see a little bit in a game like Fortnite, right, where like certain gun types are seen as, as the best, but it's like, well, if somebody's winning with it, it must be good. That's not necessarily like you can't necessarily play their game, right? You can't necessarily do what that guy on the Twitch channel can do. And it goes a whole lot further when you get into games that are truly open sandbox, like an EVE Online, where the entire player experience, the mo I mean, null sec is everything. And getting out into space, it's all sandbox. And it's all sandbox all the time. And so the meta is entirely driven by players. You can't blame the devs for it because they basically just give a toolkit to players and hope to God the servers stay up. Like that's EVE Online's entire plan. Other than that, it's just a spreadsheet. Like the entire game is, is just a spreadsheet. It's, there's no MSQ to guide you through some wonderful storytelling experience like 14. There's no 9 million game modes that are all established. Like in WoW, like EVE is meta, period. Um, and I don't think that that means the game has to be poor for it, but it can definitely feel like, oh, well, if I'm not playing this way, I'm not playing correctly until somebody shatters it. Like in 14, when the world first race, you know, or in, or wow, if we see a world first race happen and it's a different set of classes than what we expected. Um, yeah, I think I was lucky enough to play Guild Wars one growing up. So yeah. <sighs> Guild Wars one completely changed my op opinion of meta. Like, I mean, yeah. I, when I talk about meta with people, I always tell them about Guild Wars one and Guild Wars two to a lesser extent, but Guild Wars one way more so. And it was just like, that literally was the point of the game. <laughs> the point of the game was trying to come up with different team comps and, and personal builds that were zany. And cr like, for example, the best example I love to tell people about is the 55 monk. And if you played the game, people know what the 55 monk is. It was like your health was 55 uh, HP only, but you healed so much. So every time you took damage, you just healed yourself to max level. And so it's like whoever came up with that idea or max health, whoever came up with that idea was genius. But there's so many other examples like that where you'd play GVG, which was 8v8, like the main way of PVPing in the game, I would say, like the the big focus on PVP. But then there was random arenas where you could get completely random builds and you would play with other people solo queue on a team. You'd have team arenas where you could join people's team. They would ask you, hey, what build are you playing? I'm playing this build. Okay, well, you know, could you also play this? But like, it, it was like so much of the game was built around how do you play it? And then how do you beat how other people play it? And so it was like the point of the game was breaking right. the meta. So it, that kind of brings up a pendulum that we're in, right? So you have the player agency on one end where you have like the hammered end from Diablo 2, like just a blatant breaking of the classes. Like it's like, we're going to do something that just can't have been designed in the original, but items make it possible. And then you have the other side where classes are so balanced 
that everything just feels like a skin. Um, we've seen that a couple of expansions in WoW, and that's just two Blizzard games. But every every developer is guilty of it, where everything is so thought of balance that like every ability might as well be something else. Um, like I've played a lot of Warhammer over the years, and there's just these universal words, and it it means um, it means something that like a word like like drawing a blank here. It means like okay, if you're gonna drop something in late that's called deep strike but different armies might call it different things but they're all the same thing right now we're in an era that's all balanced all the time is that do we need to go all the way back the other way and if we do is that what like breaks it the other direction like how do we seek that balance you, you know uh, like i think um I, I don't know if it was brian that mentioned the whole lfr lfg stuff and mm -hmm. wow but I, honestly i think that if you pick that apart, you can actually find a little bit of the answer. And, and for example, I'll have people come to me and say, well, if you try and do this class, this build, nobody will play with you. And I'm like, okay, so let's stop for a second. What do you mean nobody will play with you? Are you talking about LFR, LFG? Because those people aren't your friends. So of course they don't want to play with you if you're not playing what you what they want you to play. Right. It, it's hard to think of that though, because it's like, imagine walking outside and you go and play pickup basketball, which I did all the time uh, as a kid. You never knew who you were going to get on your team. And so you kind of had to just be like, all right, let me just deal with this, you know? But, but over time you'd make friends, you'd be like, hey, let's play together. And so you'd find people who'd fit your play style, your mentality and whatever else. And, and wow, it, you know, the fact that they opened up the floodgates for everyone to have access to it in the same way added so many problems because now people want to be exclusive. And I think, you know, understandably so in the sense that do you want to spend your time, your hour or whatever, playing with somebody that you don't think their build is going to work? And maybe it's it's not your place to say if it is. Maybe you have no idea really if it does work. But from your perspective, you're just like, I just want to have like my, my very vanilla group. I don't want to have the, ele you know, elemental shaman or like, I don't want to have this other kind of spec, the feral druid and classic wild. Like I'd rather have this other kind of spec instead. And so mm -hmm. playing with your friends and playing with a guild though, completely gets rid of a lot of that. And you know, when I did my uh, wow review, for example, that was, that was my experience because I played with a group of friends and I played with a guild. Um, you know, as I joked about in, in the raids that I did, I mean, they carried me through. Would somebody else have, necessarily like liked me to go on their raid if i was so undergeared i don't think i don't think so possibly right some people might have been like oh your gear's kind of too bad i don't know if i want to play with you but then th to fix that i don't just quit and say well nobody wants to play with you if your gear sucks which is what a lot of people do i say well okay if they don't want to play with me somebody will i'm sure somebody will so how do you go about fixing that because uh you know is that is that about uh, using like tools like discord and uh, you know, just varying other ways that you can connect and, and make friends online because that's how it used to be done. Uh, you would do shouts and things like that and you would group up and it was so pain. It was more painful to abandon <laughs> and then run back and try to find somebody. Is it that convenience also that has, that has, that has ultimately kind of set us uh, back maybe? I think to a certain extent, but I think also it, it kind of it's design like if you look at games like you you, you guys said uh, already like they've clearly the scope of these games have been shrinking um even though they started like with big you know maybe even delusions of grandeur like they've started like oh we can <laughs> like shadowbane is the best example i think of because if you learn about shadowbane um you know todd coleman who's working on uh crowfall now when he did shadowbane his idea was i want this to be game of thrones the mmo and mm -hmm. so he even said later on after the game came out, he was like, look, 
this was a problem of our ideas were so big and our technology and our budgets were so small. <laughs> and so yeah. it was like, that's a serious problem. And I think learning from that and having a more um, small scale of gameplay or small scope of gameplay is, is in content is a better way to go about it than just being like, let's do everything. And then you can't do anything correctly. But I'll say that um, I think design wise, when you look at classes and class design archetypes, whatever you'd like to call them, that's where I think a lot of the problems have arised as well. And I think um, to, to pick on Korean MMOs a little bit, I think they're, <laughs> they're kind of the worst example of this, where it's like you get um, fighter, cleric, uh, <laughs> archer, and that's kind of like the extent of it. You can't customize them. You can't play them necessarily differently. Maybe your gear is a little bit different, but like, can you actually build your character uh, stats or traits or skills differently? Like, you can't really. And so I think... It's, it's weird because we started off with almost too much choice, right? Games like Ultima, games like Darkfall allowed you to do so many different things. And so people kind of were just overwhelmed because there were so many options. But at the same time now, you know, fast forward uh, two decades or so, and uh, the amount of uh, ways you can play your character are shrinking. And I think that that's a big thing that we have to, as like fans, have to be careful of. And I'm not trying to say that every game needs to have 17 billion specs. To, to bring up Final Fantasy XIV as an example, it doesn't even have specs, right? right? So like, is that necessarily needed? I actually don't think it is, but that's because they're trying to do something different. Like Final Fantasy XIV to me is something different and Square Enix has seen it that way. And that's why I think it's actually very successful because instead of trying to do what WoW did originally and be like, let's be massive and have like all these open zones and big open world PVP, they're just like, no, we're gonna have like, you go from here to there, instance to instance, you do your your fract sorry, fractals, you do your trials. Your, You're doing um, Destiny 2 right now then, I guess. Well, actually, uh, Guild Wars. Okay, uh, yeah. they, they call them fractals there too. But okay. yeah, trials and raids and group content. And I know there's some PvP, but obviously it's typically not played as much in Final Fantasy XIV. But they just focused on making those things really good instead of focusing on like, let's give you so many different options yeah. of the way to play it. And I think that that's a different style of game, but there's nothing wrong with that style of game. I think that style of game is completely valid. For what it, what it is and how they turned that game around from 1.0 to 2.0 and like uh, in the pattern and the content that they've, de they've delivered since, it does make me wonder what their next game would be. Because instead of, like you said, instead of trying to say, we're gonna like do all of this, no, like let's narrow it down. What is this game going to be and how are we going to make that aspect of it just the best? And that's why I think you see people really enjoy the raids and really enjoy the story and really enjoy certain aspects. And then that's typically where people within the community who play it a lot end up then like after they've done everything like a theme park, they're just like, okay, well, what's next? Like I'm ready for the new attraction. And that's why I think I'm hopeful as the future goes, because you mentioned uh, Galaxies is, is your favorite MMO. Uh, you know, that hopefully we see more sandbox and theme park elements with the technology. Like when we start looking at what's coming down the road and what we're doing with AI, there are some really interesting aspects that they could really benefit. And you could see a leap in what redefines an MMO, where all of a sudden you're like, that's a 5,000 player battle. Like you are literally like one of like these people and you were doing something that can never couldn't be done elsewhere. And I think that's what's going to be really exciting. Um, on that note, though, like uh, just kind of like pivoting slightly, uh, talking about like the sandbox MMO. Like we have a there's a, a new world is is kind of modeled as a sandbox. They've just come out with some PVP changes, which has got the community. 
um, concerned. And my issue with all of it, and it's kind of the, the way I take every game, is kind of a wait and see. Like, well, we'll see what, what it's like. Mm-hmm. But they didn't show anything. They're, they're only in a tell mode. Um, I saw that you were talking about New World. Uh, you know, is that something that's on your radar? If so, what do you think about that as a as kind of the first new MMO for a new decade? Man, so New World, uh, I've got a personal relationship with it. Um, they flew me out to Irvine, and I helped test the game, and and I would even say consult in a little a little mm. sense. And there's a couple other people who went as well. Lazy Peon, um, a Fever went as well. Um, I'm, I'm probably missing a couple other MMO guys, but they invited uh, survival guys too, which to me kind of tells you that their game isn't just the typical massive multi. They're also trying to go, like you said, like something more sandbox. It's gotta be survival different. games. It got to be different. You can't clone anything anymore. Right. Yeah. And survival games, um, they it's it's funny because um, they came out of nowhere, really. Like survival games came out and it was just like they became almost like the new MMO for a lot of people because you had so many ways to play it. You can build your own, you know, civilization. You can blow up other people's civilizations. For a lot of people, that was really cool. What I don't like about those kind of games, and I think that's what New World kind of realized, was that in, in the same sense you can say you can do everything, the, the way I always describe when someone says you can do everything is that kind of means you can't really do a whole lot you know like because they say oh you can do everything but it's like what does that really mean does that just mean i could do it but why would i like why would i create a big civilization and trade amongst us when i could just kill everyone and and afk raid their base offline like which is what a lot of people do in survival games right and that's what new world encountered uh and unfortunately i can't talk about what i what i tested because i'm under nda but i can tell you that um the, the way that they originally had pitched the game was obviously certainly different than the way the game's moving now. But even though I don't agree with how they went about it, I can understand why they're doing it, obviously, because, you know, it's Amazon. And um, at this point, they're working on uh, Lord of the Rings as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the new Lord of the Rings is supposed Two to come MMOs. out. Two MMOs. Like, it's, MMOs are, in my mind, nowhere near dying. Um, there, I think we're going to see Ash as a creation. And there's like there seems to still be like obviously a, a huge demand for it, even though it's not, you know, like bringing in like what wow was like 15, 20 million subscribers every month or something like that. But I, I jumped in, go ahead. No, wow is, um, I, I refer to wow as like the equivalent of Titanic or avatar uh, to the movie industry. And if you want to go further back, you could say maybe like, um, was it, uh, I'm trying to remember. It's a very famous movie that had one of the biggest budgets ever, and it's ancient as hell, has super famous uh, female actor. I think it was... Um, Cleopatra? Yes, Cleopatra. Yeah. So Cleopatra, everyone knows that story, um, who's a, a film nerd, because it's such a, you know, important story, but also really interesting story. It's a and, uh, <laughs> Right. And you look at Avatar and Titanic, and even Star Wars, right? Star Wars was a blockbuster as well. Let's just be honest. It's the, now it's the biggest. <laughs> but at that time, yeah. um, I don't know if it Actually, no, it was the biggest for a while. Then Titanic came out, then um, Avatar. Those were the bigger movies. And then, obviously, Star Wars came out again um, more recently and beat those numbers. But I think the same thing happened with WoW and the MMO industry. It's like blockbusters happened. And blockbusters kind of, (laughs) they're great because they expand the ceiling for like what you can do, how many players are watching and playing the game. But they're bad in the sense that you can kind of push out a lot of the... um, cooler more risky ideas because you know in the sense that people at the time who were 
interested in watching blockbuster films, do they really want to watch like a Quentin Tarantino film? Like probably not, but obviously he found his niche and then now he's gotten a lot more popularity since then. But early on, you know, his, his movies before Pulp Fiction, obviously, um, which is one of his biggest hits. Um, those weren't, you don't really remember those, right? But then everyone remembers Pulp Fiction, but it's more like a cult classic than it is a blockbuster, right? But it's it's known because it does risky things and, and it does uh, risky things well. And um, I, I think that a level of that happened in the MMO industry where the blockbusters came and uh, I should say blockbuster came because <laughs> it's really only been wow that's a blockbuster in my eyes um, just because of the amount of time it's been around and the amount of money and all, all that other stuff that goes into it. But I think we're going to see a lot of shifting there as well. And New World, to, to go back to New World, um, I don't necessarily know how all that's going to shake out. But what I do know is, and it's a bit of a meme at this point, um, Lord of the Rings, I, I'm sure, is going to be uh, <laughs> a better game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the nail in the coffin for any game is is that you can do everything, right? We see it with No Man's Sky. We saw it with Fallout 76. Anytime somebody walks on stage or public perception whether the devs meant it or not, the moment public perception says, oh, I'm going to be able to do it. I mean, Anthem's the more recent one, right? Yeah. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, I can't wait till I can go in there and do everything. I'm going to be able to do anything with my Iron Man suit. You're, once your expectations hit, hit, it's going to be an unlimited experience. It, it just can never live up to it. There's no way. Um, but then the other thing that games can do more chronically long-term is that term quality of life. Like it sounds really good, like quality of life. Like who doesn't want better quality of life? And you see it with, with games like WoW and with Final Fantasy 14 and anything that's been running, I'd say longer than like six or seven years where they've had to start engaging with what does an expansion cycle look like? What does DLC look like? How do we handle microtransactions? And those words just start having to come into play. You can't just live off of your initial rush um, they start to add quality of life. And when they do that, you see matchmaking come in, you see side content come in, you see all these things, and they make it to where, um, A, restarting is hard. We saw Destiny try to do that with Destiny 2. And B, where what made the game fun might accidentally get damaged, where like matchmaking broke the culture of WoW vanilla. Now I don't need you. I can just replace you instantly. Um, so somebody who makes videos on like the death of a game obviously when the servers go offline it's done but like and in hindsight we can see the sickness but how do we know when a game is sick but still could get better like what defines a game as truly dying beyond just clickbait yeah so <laughs> i think the way i just de describe it in my series is it's either a sudden mass exodus of players where it just never recovers um i i say it obviously it's a literal death like the sh servers legit shut down the game never launches another thing that has happened before yeah um but i also would say it's usually when you see a game get shifted to maintenance mode and when a game is shifted to or mmo rather is shifted to maintenance mode it kind of means like they no longer can afford to make the kind of content they need to make in order to attract either new players or keep their current players most interested and when I did a video on Age of Empires Online, um, one of the executives from Microsoft uh, brought up a really good point. And you guys have probably thought about this already, but it's just um, expansions aren't really there to invite new players. They're more so there to keep your current players playing. And so one of my biggest problems actually with Final Fantasy XIV, and they're trying to fix that this year, yeah. is the new player experience is, is just, it's super subpar. And, and for me, that's actually one thing that I'm very passionate about is the MPE, the new player experiences for me is like, 
you need to care about that stuff because what are you going to do whenever your fan base is like, eh, well, actually, I'm not going to come back this time around, or maybe this expansion wasn't so great, which happened in Final Fantasy 14, right? I think what, what expansion was that? And I'm not a My, me personally was Stormblood. The one me, right before this. But that there are people who really loved that expansion. And so that's actually one of the things I've appreciated about the many perspectives that people have on 14 is that certain expansions have resonated differently than they did with me. It was Heaven's Word was like, oh, wow. And then I was like, why am I not enjoying Stormblood? Now, Shadowbringers ultimately will have to be judged in the course of its entire content. But I think narratively, Shadowbringers has just redefined what it means to be a narrative-driven MMORPG. It's actually probably what I would say is the best Final Fantasy. Um, it, I, it, it, it rivals Tactics and Six for me, like from a single-player game. And I think where people find, and I've seen a lot of conversation about this recently, like on different blogs and on the internet, people are like, I love Shadowbringers. Why am I not having fun in 14 today? And it's that 14 is a single-player you know, RPG. Like it's a standalone Final Fantasy game. Then it's an MMORPG. Like its its priority is to tell like a, an incredible story and build this incredible world. And then it hopes that you stick around and want to keep playing uh, for that additional experience and for the MMOs and for the camaraderie. But you don't have to. And as content creators, we see this in the numbers. And we've seen this, you know, uh, even before we were content creators where people will come and play through the expansion. Then they will take a break and they'll come back before the next expansion, get caught up on all the story play through the story and then so they'll they'll play 14 heavy for like three or four months and then they'll just go take a break and yoshi p and square enix they're perfectly fine with that it's just like you said though like as long as they can keep people coming back in and the new player experience i think is really one of the things that i'm concerned about and excited about it's um, about 400 hours right now yeah I actually went through it. I went to level one to 50, but before I, I, I got to uh, doing the Heaven Sword content, I actually took a step back because while Classic had came out. And so I was actually like, you know what? I'm going to wait until they just redo the one to 50 experience and see how I like it. Because whenever I was going through it, you could just tell it was just made when they basically had like what a deadline of how long in order to just get this new game done like they didn't have any time and so it was just like they had to do it and cram it all together and that's yeah. why it feels like that you can feel that but then you know everyone was telling me and of course i haven't got to experience it yet i'm just watching and and and, and seeing other people's opinions but they've told me like what you guys have said which is like heavensward um obviously the newest expansion shadowbringers the people talk so highly of these and they're like dude sure. trust me if you can get it through that 150 and you can get past the what do they call it the hundred quest that comes after yeah. 50 where you got to get to heaven like if i you literally have a guide that, that's like hey new players survive this <laughs> trust me <laughs> it's yeah it's the bigger issue with how content ages um is that like at the time so i was playing when 2.0 was live and so every patch cycle between 2.0 going live and, you know, uh, A Realm Reborn and mm -hmm. 3.0, Heavensward, I was getting that story fed to me slowly. And I'm not a lore guy. I've skipped a ton of, I, I've lost count of the number of cutscenes I've skipped in my life in games. I play them for gameplay and I could just go through those. Even if I didn't want to be told a story, okay, you just gotta, you just gotta play for an hour and then you can get to the gameplay. But what happens is when years and years and patches and patches and patches pile on top of each other in a game and it's meant to be cumulative, 
it starts to add up too much. And so this year you're seeing both WoW and 14 redefine that new player experience. And it's going to be incredibly interesting to look back this fall and say, who did it better? Because right now they, WoW's solution is we'll just hand you a level capped character and we are so sorry. And 14 <laughs> is like, well, we gave you a single player game. You're the one that played the MMO subscription and is disappointed. And like, neither of those is a good solution. Like that's two bad solutions to a problem that they created very, very, very slowly. Um, but then the other issue is how do you make it engaging in the current time? So like when I was listening to the guys on the stream today, they said what they wished fights did was it would split people into multiple groups and then they would have to go through these different things. And as a guy who right now isn't interested in current BFA content, I spent my wow time running what's called transmog runs where you run old old content to get glamour and cosmetic items for other players and then you sell them on the market board and it's how you make money and it's just this little game that i there's, there's whole there's a whole culture around it and there's these things called laxes and it's incredibly fun and all i could think is well that's not going to be fun in two years when i'm grinding transmog and bfa because like there's going to be a day when BFA yeah. is transmog gear. And so like, how do you design content to be both fun now and to age gracefully? So uh, to go back to that executive, which I, I'm forgetting his name from Age of Empires Online, uh, who works with Microsoft, like he talked about this. Uh, it was a GDC uh, talk that he did where he basically gave people um, an explanation as to why their game didn't do well. And what was interesting in their case was he essentially broke it down into numbers and said that the amount of time, resources, and manpower they were spending was not netting them enough gain. So after they do something and people would spend 10, 20 bucks to get a new civilization, it, they were bored of it and done with it already. And so it was just like, we just spent all this time and like six months to do this and you guys are already done and kind of bored with it so quickly. And so I actually think, um, and this is where I, I will typically disagree with a lot of people is I think that focusing on the big structured theme park and very um, linear style of game, uh, let's say story modes mm -hmm. or raids or things like that, is absolutely like a, like a fun thing and it obviously resonates well with people, but it's economically, I think probably the worst way to build your game. <laughs> I mean, you, you build your game with a shelf life, basically, where it's right. like, what do you do about that other than just make more content? And I think that part of the solutions that could help potentially would be things like um, if you guys have ever played Neverwinter Nights yes. uh, on the PC. And I so am the, the sequel. <laughs> yeah, and, and the sequel as well. Mm -hmm. And so there's modules in that game where you can play on community servers and a DM can come in there and change the game literally on the fly. And so I think the future of raids and, and the more instanced and non-repeatable content is going to be adding ways to make it repeatable, whether through, like you said, transmog runs or maybe harder difficulties, but also what if you right. could, for example, change the way the fight goes? Like what if you could uh, do a different version of a fight or what if you like in um, the community servers in Neverwinter Nights, what if you could have a DM who's maybe a community member who has a certain role and these have existed before in MMOs, Asheron's Call had them, mm. Matrix Online had them. They were basically GMs who created story content for the game. Yeah. And so what if you had people like that who could actually, um, every week you have people vote on a new community raid. Yeah. And then after that raid is you know voted on, boom, you can go immediately start playing that. So I think the thing is, is that 
developers and publishers haven't figured out how to monetize that. That's why they're not doing it yet. I don't you think it's because little. they don't want to do it. You, you, you do, you see With it a little affixes, bit. right? So you, affixes is typically the term. So like in Diablo, you have your greater rift system where it has a modification to it. Uh, wow, you have your mythic plus system. Uh, 14's closest thing so far is your deep dungeon, but it does have a cap. But if it was unlimited where each floor could have a modifier, um, which is what World of Warcraft's kind of Torgas Tower is gonna be a parody of per se. Okay. Um, so you see it in in destiny you have modifiers um destiny 2 you, you know so you see these these modifiers where that's the that's the mainstream kind of top 40 version yeah if your neverwinter nights is your like dungeon master DD version where it doesn't require having a good dm to have a good experience but you probably are capped you're probably not as creative as finding somebody who can really control exactly what experience you want to get out of the game um but yeah it's not it's not been quick and they constantly come to us and say, oh, it's too expensive to develop that or whatever, because in the short term, it feels expensive. But that long term aging of that system. Well, I mean, what he just described was, is, is a part of what I look at sandbox. Your best tools are the are, are the players. And there's a couple of factors here that we look at as we look at as MMOs are evolving. New World back, for example. It's integrated with Twitch. We saw that same some uh, similar integration with Borderlands 3, where people are streaming it. And whether you're in the game or not, you can have an impact. And I know a lot of people, when I talk about PvP, I have a great love of PvP. I think PvP is great content for gaps in the PvE, like in that narrative that, you know, hey, we've uh, almost maybe curated. I think curated is essentially probably the, the the correct term. Like it is designed. This is the experience that we want you to have. You've had said experience. You will do it a couple of times again for fun. And then eventually you, there's got to be some kind of reward structure for you to keep repeating that curated experience. Otherwise, you're going to burn out on it. It doesn't matter who you are. There's a number there, be it five or 500, that you're just like, I cannot run this dungeon again. I never want to see this dungeon again or, you know, whatever that experience be. But then all of a sudden you empower, like look at the bigger games that have dominated over the last, uh, you know, 10 years. Like you have Minecraft, you have Fortnite. These are, these are experiences that aren't repeatable. And so when I come back to the PVB point, it doesn't have to be like us engaged in so like combat in real time. It could be that impact. It could be that time trial. It could be, oh my gosh, I see that Justin, how did he get that? that score on that, I'm going to go try and, and, and do that. And I'm going to now take that concept that you had earlier of builds and, and play around with it in an experiment to see if I can't do better. And then it's like, you have that, that element uh, in which I, I always kind of have longed for that concept of player de design quests. Like, Hey, this is what it is yeah. that DM within that world. But you brought up an interesting point and one that I've never considered is from the devs, devs perspective, how do they monetize it? And in a world where, we have gone more and more away from subscription-based individual games, that becomes an even bigger challenge because the monetization would come from, well, now more people are still playing this game because there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening all the time. But now it's like, well, if they're not buying cosmetics, if they're not buying loot boxes, if they're not, you know, these servers don't, you know, don't run on, you know, goodwill. So uh, how, how do you see the monetization system evolving um, over the next 10 years for like uh, an MMO? Um, man, monetization is probably one of the most depressing things to talk about because it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, <laughs> no. 
you always have to admit that yeah these companies have to make money and yeah. they have to especially a game like um you know final fantasy 14 and and wow and guild wars 2 are games that have big raids and big you know focuses on content like that they've got to make money and actually to to use guild wars 2 as an example to me they're going through this exact problem right now so guild wars 2 according to ncsoft wasn't successful enough it wasn't making them enough money part of that is because of their model not maybe being egregious enough or whatever you want to say right but uh, you know i looked at ncsoft's publicly released financials loads and you'll see like lineage still making like double triple the money that a game like guild wars 2 is and you're just like how is that possible when lineage is like 20 years old and it's just because ultimately it's much cheaper to make content for and it's much cheaper to make money with so like the return on the investment the roi for a game like guild wars 2 it's sad but it's true it's just not good enough for a company like ncsoft and so i think even just recently they released some information about what their new roadmap is after they've laid off like i mean i think yeah, it was they laid a off a bunch of people of the, yeah, yeah a third of their workforce and canceled a bunch of different projects and it, it was looking kind of dire for them and so they recently talked about in a roadmap of sorts they said well, you know, having a big expansion thing is not really going to be realistic, but maybe we can focus on this, that, and this instead. And so I'm thinking personally, if you want to do that style of content where it's like the big, crazy cinematics, the big trailers, the awesome, you know, boss fights and all of that stuff, like it looking really nice and feeling really uh, nice as an experience, you got to have a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty hard to do that curated like you said, mm -hmm. style of content when you don't have a lot of money. I mean, think about this for a second. What other MMOs out there do that style of content that aren't owned by a massive corporation, basically? You and, don't see and it. You, you literally don't see it. And it's, it's just because it's too expensive to do. So like with monetization going forward, to talk about the idea of like player-generated quests or like maybe DMs or the way that you could uh, potentially affect a raid or change a raid in a way. I think actually there are some good examples of that earlier on in the um, historical sense, I guess. Like if you look at Galaxies, actually, mm -hmm. they had a system called the Chronicler. And the Chronicler was basically a quest system that you could create quests. Um, and I mean, it's super interesting because you could create points of interest. You could create the text logs yourself. You could uh, make NPCs have their own dialogue. Like you could really go into like the deep level of making your own content in that sense and and i think also a couple of other games have had it before on a lesser extent like um star trek online had it and so did neverwinter nights now here's what's interesting about both of those games both cryptic games both perfect world entertainment games they sunsetted that mechanic in their game why would they sunset the ability for you to create more content in your game for yourself like for the players right like me i can assume it's because they it doesn't make them money right. <laughs> so like uh, we'd rather you just get slowly trickled and play our content versus like have that when it's like kind of like you said earlier but you're missing the point like people are going to be quitting and not playing anything in the meantime so you're actually losing more money but those games don't have subscriptions so they're not as worried about losing customers out right. on one two three four five months as long as you keep buying loot boxes and and buying um xp boosts and costumes and and whatever else is on the cash shop it'll be good for them. I made a video about the different business models. And honestly, like after doing the video, I became a lot more jaded because I was <laughs> like, man, some some of the most popular MMOs right now, um, 
and Final Fantasy fourteen is not one of them. No, but it's not. Elder Scrolls Online is absolutely, in my opinion, one of the worst at uh, monetization. It's got what I like to call the... Uh, <laughs> what's the guy from um, the Avengers? He's got the gauntlet, the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, Thor, uh, Thanos? Thanos. Thanos. So it's like, I refer to it as like the, the he's got the, uh, sorry, whoever did the monetization in Elder Scrolls Online, it's the, it's the uh, five gems of monetization. They've got expansions, subscriptions, cash shop. They've got, um, what's the other thing? Um, you can buy um, individual DLCs, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then you can also do, uh, um, the, I already said subscription, but I'm missing one other thing, loot boxes. They have loot boxes as well. So like they, they've got like five different like, ways that you can monetize in that game or sorry uh they can monetize in that game and it's like at what point do we as like players say like isn't that too much i mean you guys are literally owned and operated by zenimax online which of course parent company being one of the largest gaming companies bethesda it's, it's like how like why do you guys need that much money basically the only reason like i would see that being brought up into question because i think that it all relates around good games right now blizzard continuing you know to step on their on their feet with warcraft refunded or, or reforged and it's that <gasps> refurbished all, yeah all it is is that if the game is good like all kinds of forgiveness is there and if the game is bad so as long as like the game delivers because I, I i got into a conversation on twitter about this with somebody and i, and I said i think the point is is that gamers don't care if they're game makes money like they if the game is good right. like they will they will shout out like the number of mm -hmm. subscribers they will shout out how much money it makes like look how great right. look at us number one this game's amazing and they'll praise the profits of the company look how much money uh, sony made look how many playstation 4s they sold like if they are on board if they have that level of trust and that relationship with it they're bought in however if that flips all of a sudden that money be, they, that they make becomes greed. It becomes like, because we don't have that trust in that relationship with the developer, with the publisher. And I think that the read that the, the question in which that you bring up as it relates to elder scrolls ties into, I think probably the, the disillusion of fallout 76 and how players are just, you know, frustrated with that and anything that they do, it's like, it's met with like, Hey, like you said one thing and you did and you did the opposite. How can I trust you? How, how I can't root for you. I can't root for that support financially because, um, I mean, you look at Kickstarter and you look at games that are like, that are funded by whales. It's there's a relationship. There's a a trust and a and a like a willingness to support, as opposed to a way that like when when companies start to feel like they're just going through your pockets and then that's when you're starting to say like whoa, like I was willing to help but now I'm not. It's such a I, I that's why I wish that the subscription model was the model because i think it's the most fair model out of all of them uh, and i think we'll probably see it shift to kind of like you said with those big companies to where like just sub to the company and you're going to have you can play our mmo or you can play like we just want you as a part of this ecosystem now not worried about what you're playing or where you're spending your time as long as you're spending your time with us and our like netflix of content and our you know disney plus of content soe did that exact thing in fact soe back in the day you'd pay a subscription and you get access to all of their library, it, you know, EverQuest, PlanetSide, um, Free Realms, all the other different games that they had back then. And, and so like it, it, it's been done uh, before, which means that someone's gonna do it again eventually, right? Yeah. Like if the corporation that like, gets big enough to have two, three different games running at the same time, I think, yeah, you're gonna see things like that where they're gonna say, well, actually just pay this amount of money and you can play all, all three of these games. I think Square is actually about to have four MMORPGs running simultaneously 
11, 14, Dragon Quest 10, and Final Fantasy 15 Mobile MMORPG. Hopefully they come up with a better, cleaner name for that. Uh, you know, and it's like, and then they are even talking about like 11 Mobile. And it's like, wow. Like, yeah, they're big enough. And that's why I think that we'll probably see that come from Square. Uh, we're seeing it with Microsoft with the Game Pass. We see it with PlayStation Now to a degree. And I'm betting we're going to see as Amazon and Google start to actually, um, you know, eke out the like their spot in this in this new frontier it's going to be pretty insane in my opinion what's your thoughts on uh like before i think we have a like i, I got one question I, I mean i got a lot of questions but uh this is this time has flown by um we talked you talked a little bit about lord of the rings obviously amazon's working on that uh and they also have new world that's getting ready to come out uh th- apparently from a develop development studio perspective they believe in an mmorpg uh, and obviously i would expect lord of the rings probably being integrated with twitch in some way, shape, or form, uh, what, what's your what's your read on that? Like, are you did I, if you've seen it? I guess you can't talk about it because of NDA. But uh, like, do you think that's going to be something soon in the works, or is, are they going to have a, a, enough breath for New World? I honestly, because I know personally, after talking to developers, that they spent so much of their time developing New World on developing the engine. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't just spent on making the game. Right. That's why, like, some people argue, obviously. The game was missing PVE content. People have made complaints about that. And it's, it, I mean, what's been publicly released, I can say, yeah, it's been true. Like there hasn't been a big focus on that, but I think it's because they've been really trying to build their infrastructure. So my my hope and my um, my me being optimistic is saying that with Lord of the Rings, it, they're going to take that technology and do it a little bit better, right? So they're going to have a little bit more um, or less time spent having to really, you know, build this engine and more so the point of Lumberyard was always that you can make it much easier to create content. That was yeah. always their main goal with Lumberyard. If Lumber they can Yard. solve that problem, then, you know, that kind of solves the, the content drought. Ex- That's exactly. How That's how I feel about Stadia. What Stadia is doing is revolutionary on the back end. The number of titles they have working today doesn't matter. The number of subscribers they have playing today doesn't matter. None of it matters. What, what they're building, the ability to have... An infrastructure that can scale up an infinite number of graphics cards to assign to a server that then players don't have to spend any resources like that's what's pivotal here getting destiny to run on it like that's like oh can you convert my blu-rays to run on the new holograms it's like i we can i guess it's going to take a lot of work i'm only going to have a handful of them working and it's not going to take they're not going to be holograms like like it, it's just a matter of time until somebody comes out with something so like that's what's intriguing about what amazon's doing is with a platform like twitch behind them what does integration look like what does what does a social media video game mean like it's a terrifying term but like i just wonder fun? if we're going to see google <laughs> release their own mmorpg because it's that if they have some integration with twitch What's Google's response? Because it's rumored Amazon's going to have its own cloud streaming service. If it doesn't happen, there's going to be there's a lot of industry and analysts that are going to be like kind of shocked by that fact. So if that happens, then all of a sudden Stadia and YouTube becomes that kind of ecosystem. It's going to be it's going to be a weird world, guys. Like buckle up, twenty twenty to twenty thirty, guys. Like at the end of this, we're going to come out and be like, well, damn, they got all my money. Now I'm poor. yeah, Amazon actually. Um... I can say because this was a conversation I had with one of the community managers, uh, or I, th- I think 
he might have had a different role at the time, but he worked with the community and getting feedback and setting up personal relationships with the players and, and whatever else, people who were testing the game. And what he told me basically is like Jeff Bezos, and it sounds funny, but it's true. Like he is involved. Like he actually emails them about the game and his big thing with um, Amazon and them working on New World was basically Twitch integration. So yeah. that was always a big thing for them since the very beginning was always integrating Twitch. And how do we make this watchable? They want it to be a top 10 game watchable on, on, on stream. And I remember that quote being told to me exactly like that's, that was their game plan going in. They want to go in and be like, okay, you can really have all this integration and it's so easy. You just press a button. You can buy the game. You're playing mm -hmm. the game, yep. you're watching the game. Like, you know what I mean? And, and I'll say this, like, I, I can't say what one of my ideas was concerning that, but I'm pretty sure they're going to go about doing whatever it is that me and a few others had suggested, which is all about integration. And I, I don't know if it's been necessarily done before, but um, when it comes to integration, for me personally, the thing that I always look at is imagine if you could watch somebody playing an MMO and be like, man, that looks so cool. And imagine you could just press a button, gives them a kickback, buy the game, you're in their guild, next thing you know, you're playing with them. It's yeah. just like the ability to do that and do that so quickly with a click of a button, it's that's going to be the future. Well, and the thing is, it's not just quickly, but the future is you press that button, you don't download anything. You're literally like, and I'm here. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Like, because with that, and that's the whole, that's where when Microsoft today, like today, my, uh, Phil Spencer was in an interview and, uh, you know, like, he's like, no, Sony and Nintendo, they're they're at, they're misaligned. Like they're not going to like, they're, they're going to have to go spend billions and billions of dollars just to compete with Microsoft, Google, and Amazon right. about what's about to happen. And that's why I think that I don't think that Nintendo has to spend a dime. I think Nintendo is going to be getting a fat check for their IP on either Amazon They'll partner Google. with somebody. They're going to partner I mean, with somebody. They'll be uh, on the Disney Plus video game platform. Yeah, Disney exactly. and Nintendo band together. Oh, man. You can't so, but say it's gonna anything be, about the likeness of any of their yeah. characters or they are already knocking on your door. It's going to be, and I think MMOs are going to be specifically <laughs> see a resurgence with cloud technology kind of driving uh, the processing, the volume. Yeah. When we're talking about like, you know, four man content, like when was that? When's four man content an MMO? We're like, we're like bringing back, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people all working in, in, in tandem on some kind of goal. It's going to be ridiculous. Good couple years for gaming. Oh, yeah. Justin, I actually want to talk about that oh, if I could. Oh, please, uh, absolutely. Just, just quickly. Um, Jump in. So there's there's something that I've noticed in the MMO industry that I think if we can, as fans and, and hopefully educate developers, we can solve a lot of our own problems, and it's it comes to terminology. So like when you look at when games were originally created and you know the names people came up with them, the original MMO basically is D&D, uh, &D, right? It was role play, it was pen and paper. And then it was like MUDs. It was, you know, text-based games online. And then it slowly became, you know, multiplayer games. And multiplayer online RPG was actually the first term uh, coined in Neverwinter Nights Online on AOL, which I think was the early 90s. And so multiplayer yeah. online RPG, you never hear that word used. But the, the funny thing about it is it applies to a lot of the currently popular games, Final Fantasy XIV, it applies to Elder Scrolls Online. And what, what you notice is we tacked on an extra M um, with Ultima and Asheron's Call and, and, and EverQuest and games that like, like that that have massive amounts of players playing in the same zones. But there's nothing wrong with saying your game is a multiplayer online RPG, which basically just means that it doesn't care about being massive. It's right. not worried about being massive. And I think 
to use Final Fantasy XIV as an example, since you guys are most familiar with it, um, Japan is not an MMO-like region. They they never have been. If you look at them as a region compared to Korea, mm -hmm. it's easy to get the two Asian you know countries mixed up, right? You know, Korea, Japan, it's like they're the same, right? Well, no, China, Korea, and Japan actually operate pretty differently, especially with the way that their uh, commerce works. Sure, they borrow ideas and steal ideas and try and outperform each other, but you look at Japan and um, the way their market has worked, I mean, for a long time has basically been like, they don't really care that much about online games as much as they've cared about uh, co-op experiences mm -hmm. and LAN experiences and, you know, having... Um, a, a switch that's portable. I mean, that's my switch right there, actually. And and a big part of the switch, of course, was the fact that it is portable. And that's a big thing in Japanese culture is having a portable system, being able to play with your friends. And, um, you know, if, I'm sure you guys have heard that in some households, they don't even have room for a computer necessarily. And it's also seen as more of a social activity to go mm -hmm. play games with other people. So it's like their culture looks at it a little bit differently than the West does. The mm -hmm. West has kind of seen it as like, we all want to be able to get online and just play, you know, the same kind of game and play at the same time and play, you know, as fast as possible. Whereas for, for those markets, they were a lot more willing to be like, you know what, like, let's uh, go to a PC bang or PC cafe and let's go play this game at that cafe with friends or let's have a LAN party and you can all bring your switches and tie them up together. And next thing you know, you're playing games. Um, multiplayer online RPGs, I think if we can separate them from massive multiplayer online RPGs, will actually save a lot of these problems that that happen because of expectations. Mm -hmm. And to me, a great example of that, and maybe the best example ever is SWOTOR. <laughs> Star Wars The Old Republic might, might be the best example of a game that's built to be played by yourself. And then also is like, okay, maybe you can do some other things because, you know, in Final Fantasy 14, yeah, you can't, like when you try and do a story quest, it kicks you out of a group, for example, that happens, mm -hmm. that's a problem. But later renditions, they add a lot more ways to play with other people, right? In the story content. With uh, Star Wars The Old Republic, that didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, partly because the game didn't do that well, but largely now, and I've gone back and played it just last year, the game feels like it's a single player game with other players kind of around you. And so for a while, it's just like, why is that? Why is my perception so different? And I just realized, I think it's because we're getting these two very similar genres kind of confused. And you look at um, my last example for you guys is Guild Wars 1 mm -hmm. is a great example of this. Did you guys know that it actually, the developers didn't consider it an MMO? They called it a cooperative online RPG, a CORPG. And if you the look it up, you can find- so limited. The cities, you had to jump layers of cities. So like in 14, mm -hmm. you'd be in Old Awe and it's like, oh no, no, I'm in Old Awe 10. Cause like they really weren't designed to have that many people. So like even right. just meeting up with my two brothers was like this huge ordeal just to get three of us into the same game. Cause it wasn't really there to foster that. Right, yeah, and that was never really their original focus. And they've even said it themselves that they didn't like to call it an MMO because they didn't see it as one. They thought it was too instance. And and the same thing actually, funny enough, applies to Path of Exile. Um, people will oftentimes call it an MMO, but the developers themselves say it's not. They say, actually, the fact that you guys like it and that it worked is because it's not a massive multiplayer online game. And that's, that's from their mouth. So I think mm -hmm. if we as fans and developers uh, we can all come together and, and try and like come up with, you know, better let's terms. Use different, yeah, let's use better right. terms here because you'll, you'll create a lot more problems if you don't do that. What like an asynchronous? Because Death Stranding, you're having a, it's an asynchronous experience, but you are impacting other players' game 
Hmm. So like the fact that other players play is important, but at the same time, like it's not like Dark Souls <laughs> like, kind of. I yeah, guess. Dark Souls kind has of a, has a similar system. Um, kind of. I like that yeah, they uh, the devs at for Destiny uh, consider it an MMO like action RPG in that regards, and it's like that's like it's so interesting. Um, that's why I was like, uh, what what does it even mean anymore to to be an MMO today? Where yeah. Like the like anything I, like we're fourteen right like what what is massive and I think that's where like back to our conversation on technology I think our, our definition of massive might be changing once like once we see like the next leap because before a mm-hmm. hundred players like in a zone like holy crap like this that's is massive. insane it's massive yeah. and then all of a sudden you're like well maybe that's not so massive because now somebody could do a thousand or a five thousand or I've even heard uh, tests of ten thousand in a in a single instance in zone and you're like. That'd be chaos. It's like it might be. Well, let's find out. Depends. <laughs> That's depends. depends. That's I all. Mean, ESO, the has, ESO already has battle type content that can take on huge areas, and they didn't design it with the hardware in mind. That's going to be available on upcoming options. And that's another like to put a bow on it. That that's that's my biggest point actually is that building your game trying to be massive initially is what Swotor did. They failed epically at it. And so I always think in my head, what if they just focused on doing what Final Fantasy fourteen did? Uh two point well, I should say, you know, two Realm Reborn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I you know, what if they did that instead? I think it would have been a much better game. And so it's like it's not just everything needs to be massive. No, 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 no. Like not everything needs to be massive. Sometimes games are better when they're not massive. Yeah. So, uh, Justin, I mean, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. And then, actually, there's a great question by Zoila. And if you have a minute after the show, like, I would like to get your thoughts on that one here at the end of it. But um, where can people find you? Like, uh, you know, tell people what you do and where they can get you. And we'll also include links in all the descriptions of of where we post this. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitch at slash NerdSlayer with three R's, of course, because the original names were taken. Um, you can find me on Twitter, NerdSlayerG, and then my YouTube channel. You can either just look up NerdSlayer, look up Death of a Game, or it's uh, YouTube dot, or it's like YouTube.com slash C slash NerdSlayerGaming, I think is my exact like unique link or whatever else. But uh, yeah, those are the places you can find me. And uh, thanks for having me, of course. And it time did go fast on it. I just came from yeah. the gym. And so I was like, man, I hope I'm going to, you know, be like energized and, and, and be ready to go. And the next thing you know, it's over. So yeah, absolutely. Um, Chris, where can people find us? What are you working on? Uh, I mean, right now we're preparing for another season of 14. Um, I'm playing a little bit of, of wow again. And I know Brian's working on some getting, getting psyched for PSO two this year. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're watching final fantasy seven. I can't wait for that as well, by the way. Who knows Fantasy Star or out? Seven? Fantasy oh, Star, yeah. Oh, dude. And then we've been playing a lot of Temtem, and we've been streaming all of this. We've moved our streaming off of Work to Game over to Work to Play. So anybody that's hit subscribe over there, big thank you. Um, trying to get that over that thousand mark so we get the full suite of YouTube tools and everything on the back end. Um, it's it's been a blast getting to stream that more. Temtem is a game that is very still early access. So I, I plan on, I'm trying to put my thoughts together. I'm coming up on the end of what early access has to offer. And uh, it, it's it's got a lot of potential. I don't know yet whether or not it's the game for you. Uh, so a little bit of both. <laughs> All right, well, that wraps up this podcast, episode 43. Uh, last time, like we said, we had me three on the show. Next time, we've got Heal Me Harry coming back, making his return. Going to be following up with him, uh, I guess, as we prepare for patch 5.2, uh, Eden Raid, and more <laughs> within the Shadowbringers world experience. I don't know, my voice just like 
got caught itself. But anyway, so for work to game, my name is Brian. My name's Chris. I'm Justin. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, we love you guys very much, and we will see you next time. Later, guys. <laughs>